The Asmin and Budic Podcast starts right now. Welcome to the Asmin and Budic Podcast. I'm Jake Asmin. As always, joined alongside Dan Budic. We have a very special show planned. This is the third podcast that we are doing. This is our first one that we can officially say that we are on iTunes, though, Dan. we are It's official. We are on iTunes. You can find us at the Asmin and Budic channel on ictv.org and of course if you go on itunes and search for our names our show comes up as well yeah finally uh after a couple weeks we did a few shows but it's officially up on itunes you subscribe like jake just mentioned ictv.org you can go view the po- view the podcast and there's a link take you right to itunes you'd also download the itunes uh podcast app for your smartphone tablet and you could access it right there will automatically update you once you subscribe to any podcasts or anything we do involving the podcast that we upload onto iTunes. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're looking forward to it, but we're finally up. Absolutely. So we're as Dan just said, we are finally up. Once Another thing we want to promote, too, is you can follow the official show's Twitter account, Asmin Budic Show on Twitter, at Asmin Budic Show. If you want to follow us as well, you'll see that our Twitter names are in the bio, at Jake Asmin, at Dan Budic. We have a great show planned, as we just talked about at the top. We're going to get into the Oscars, which was overall, I think, pretty interesting, pretty successful. A lot of controversy surrounding some of the things that went on. We're going to get into all that. And, of course, the big news around sports is spring training starting up. You have the Yankees. You have the Mets. You have Russell Wilson showing up at Rangers camp. Joe Namath showing up at Yankees camp today. So we're going to get into all that a little bit later in the show. But the big story is probably with Jason Collins, just because of what he represents for professional sports. As you know, he's the first openly gay athlete in the history of professional sports. So Jason Collins today signed a new 10-day contract with the Nets. He will likely be with the Brooklyn Nets for the rest of the season. And, of course, Dan, guess who's number one in jersey sales on NBA.com? Jason Collins. He is the number one selling jersey on NBA.com. So Jason Collins is a story, not so much of the fact that he's this all-star player coming on to help save the Brooklyn Nets season, just a matter of what he represents, the fact that he's wearing number 98 for Matthew Shepard, a really classy thing for him to do. He had the opportunity to meet with Matthew Shepard's parents when the team was in Denver the other night. Really good story for the Brooklyn Nets, a really good story for Jason Collins. He's handled everything so far really well. There hasn't been any issues that we've heard about as uh, as fans watching this story unfold. And you know, overall, obviously, the NBA is going to do everything they can to try and market this player as, of course, him being number one in the jersey sales will illustrate that. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be an issue. I don't think there's going to be an issue anywhere he goes, anywhere he travels. I just don't see it uh, for a couple of reasons. Well, one, I think in the NBA, and I think the way the NBA is going, and that maybe this will open the door for Michael Sam when he becomes a professional athlete and he's drafted by an NFL team or whatever the case may be with him, I think we're past it. I don't think there's going to be an issue. I think he was in his first few games as the net, he was uh, complimented with nothing but it seemed like polite cheers and, and and rooting and people are buying his jerseys. I don't think it's going to be a problem. I think it's great for the Nets. I think it's great for the NBA. And it's great for jersey sales, obviously. The NBA is a business. And, and anytime you could throw a jersey out there that's going to immediately in a week jump up to be your number one selling jersey, you know, the NBA is very happy. Absolutely. And Jason Collins, as we just talked about, he's done everything right so far. There hasn't been any issues, it's- nor should there. You know, this is a guy that has handled himself and I think, well throughout his absolutely. entire career. A well-likable guy in the league. The Brooklyn Nets makes a lot of sense for him. He's been on teams with some of these players. He's been on a team with Jason Kidd in the past when he was on those Nets teams that went to the finals in the early 2000s. Jason Kidd's the right head coach to handle a type of situation that Jason Collins could bring to a locker room. So far, so good. And it's exciting to see the fact that he's going to have an opportunity to remain with the Brooklyn Nets for the rest of the season. 
And you can make a case that Jason Collins going through what he's going through now will take a lot less pressure off of a guy like Michael Sam when he enters the NFL after the draft in May. I think it will take a little bit of pressure off him. I think Michael Sam, you made it very clear when he came out saying he was gay and that he was going to enter the NFL draft and he was going to be the first. I think he was ready for the pressure. I think he was ready to take on that role and that person as the first openly gay player in professional sports. Obviously, Jason Collins jumped in and we knew he was we knew he was gay already when he came out last year, but he was signed by the Brooklyn Nets. I think for a couple of reasons. I, I think, first of all, if we were dealing with a star athlete, if we were dealing with a star of a basketball team, you know, a, a prolific score, I think the situation would be a little different. The fact that Jason Collins is a complimentary piece to a New Jersey Nets team that's trying to, to, to make a play. They're the number six seed right now. They're trying to dive in and, and be, a, be, a, be a force to be reckoned with in the East. I think he's a complimentary player. If we were dealing with a star player, a marquee scorer, a top five, top ten player in the NBA who opened up and said he was he was openly gay. I think with this situation would be a lot different. I agree, but for right now it is what it is. And until Michael Sam gets drafted, the spotlight will continue to be on Jason Collins when the Nets go on the road and visit other cities. Yeah, and I, I've gotten the impression that he doesn't love the spotlight on him. I don't see J I don't see Jason Collins as the type of guy who loves the spotlight. I see him as the type of guy who just you know what I want to play basketball. And I want to go about my business. I'm happy I got an opportunity. He said his goal, you know, last year when he came out, that he was openly gay, that he wanted to get a contract in the NBA, and he wanted to play in the NBA again. And he did. He achieved his goal. And Adam Silver in the NBA put out a great message last week when he was signed about uh, how he was going to be on the Nets and how they were proud of him and, and uh, that he accomplished his goal. But, uh, you know, as far as an issue, I don't see it. I think this is going to be a very fluent process, and I think this might open up for other players, maybe in the league or outside the league, to, to open up and say that they're they're gay. I think this is great. Absolutely. And, you know, for the NBA to get this, to be the first league for this to happen to, with an openly gay athlete coming out and now playing in their respective league, it's a good thing. It's a good image for the NBA. Um, obviously, the NBA has had a lot of troubles in the past. Same with the NFL, with DUIs, with arrests. Nice to see Jason Collins handling himself well. Nice to see this issue really not being as big as some might have thought at the beginning of the year. Yeah, it, it's it's nice to see that it's not an issue. And, you know, I think people that compare it to the Jackie Robinson when he broke in and broke the color barrier in 1947 with the Brooklyn Dodgers, it's nothing the same. You know, and Michael Kay and Donald Grecker were talking about it on the Michael Kay show on ESPN Radio. It's not, it's not the same. You can't even compare the two. I mean, Jason Collins is not facing the the scrutiny and the the abuse that Jackie Robinson took when he came when he broke through with the with the Brooklyn Dodgers it's not even close i think this is a unique situation and i and i give a lot of credit to Jason Collins but for the people that say it's very similar and that you can make comparisons it you just can't you just can't the difference is a lot of them one Jackie Robinson couldn't even stay in the same area it's totally as the Brooklyn different. Dodgers were it's totally he had different a, he lived in a different place during spring training for god's sake he couldn't eat in the same restaurant he as couldn't. teammates it was a ridiculous comparison that some try to make. Jason Collins is doing a great thing. I give him a lot of credit. He's very courageous. He's handling it the right way. But it's very foolish to try and compare the Jason Collins situation to what Jackie Robinson went through when he broke the color barrier for Major League Baseball in the 40s. You can't even make the comparison. I think if you... You know, if you if you know sports and you know what Jackie Robinson went through, you don't even need to be a sport. If you know, I mean, it's a national holiday. Baseball celebrates. Jason it every, Collins. It's a totally could be in different a situation, situation where if he doesn't want people to know he's gay, that's his own prerogative. He doesn't have to come out and exactly. say exactly. Jackie Robinson at the time, you knew he was black. You knew what he was going to face, what he was going to totally have to go different. through. There was legal discrimination in this country. I mean, we're not proud of it as a nation, but it went on. We all know about segregation. Absolutely. You mentioned Jackie Robinson couldn't live in the same area as the Brooklyn Dodgers during spring training. He couldn't go to the same restaurants with them 
during um, the season or spring training as well. And of course, if you saw the movie 42, you know, they highlighted certain examples of where opposing players and opposing managers, even at certain points in the movie, said they weren't going to take the field against the it's Brooklyn Dodgers if Jackie Robinson was in the starting lineup. It's t- You cannot even compare the two situations. It's totally different. I think that the Jason Collins situation, Jake, you made a great point just now. He made his choice to come out that he was gay. He didn't have to. Jackie Robinson... You know, he didn't have a choice here. He broke the color barrier in Major League Baseball. It's a totally different situation because, you know, not everyone that's gay is going to be open about it. Not everyone's comfortable about talking about certain things. Not everyone's comfortable with themselves. It takes a unique personality, a la a Jason Collins, a la a Michael Sam, to break through and, and, and say they're gay and be proud of it and be able to, you know, go into the NFL draft, get signed by a professional basketball team, and pursue their NBA career. It's not like it wasn't like that for Jackie Robinson. He broke through for an entire, you know, people. It, it's to, you can't even not compare the situations. But I think that uh, I think it is interesting that both took place in Brooklyn. I think that's that's where everyone gets the big comparison from. Well, Jackie did it with the Brooklyn Dodgers, and now just a couple of blocks away, you know, some odd years later, Jason Collins is doing it with the Brooklyn Nets. Easy there, everybody. Everyone yeah, listening exactly. out there, take it easy. Not no discredit to what Jason Collins is doing. But we got to put things in perspective, and we're going to do that on the show. We're going to be realistic here. What Jason Collins is doing is outstanding, and you give him a lot of credit. But let's take it easy trying to compare him to Jackie Robinson. Two totally different situations. You can't even compare it. You Absolutely. Compare it. So we're going to move on and get into our next big topic before we get into some of the uh, smaller, neat things, such as Joan Willie Namath being oh, at Yankee camp. He looked great in a Yankee uniform. Of course, he wore the pants up to his nipples. It was, I mean, it was you a know, pleasure. Throwback. And you know what? It's so interesting. You, you, you know, We're going to touch on this. You, you look at pictures of Joan Namath back in the 60s. He was going to the clubs, puffy jacket. He was ready to go. You know, now he looks I like... I met uh, Joan Namath last year of at, at one of his a, charity events at the March of Dimes that he was involved I'm in. Absolutely. Yeah, I remember. And you know, and now you look at him now, you wouldn't think he's the same guy. It's just... It's, uh, you couldn't believe it. This guy had one of the him. strongest arms in the history of the NFL. Yeah, I mean, did you see him throw out the first pitch in spring training? Didn't look like he was... He, he was the first uh, 3,000 yard He got it there, though. Nice line drive there. throw. Derek caught it. Derek Jeter, Derek the Yankees captain, made a nice play on it. But, was no Don Maynard catch, but. Uh, of course. <laughs> you know what? Let's get to the Namath thing now. I will jump right to it. We, we, we love Joe Willie Namath here, and obviously, both of us are huge Jeff fans for those who don't know that about us, for those just joining us, or for those just listening to the podcast on org, excuse me, or on iTunes. You know, one of the things we want to say about Joe Willie Namath being at Yankees camp is the fact that a lot of people on Twitter cracking some jokes about the amount of females that Joe Namath in his prime and Derek Jeter in his prime have got. I thought that was pretty unique. And, of course, not only was Joe Namath at Yankees camp, but guess who who was also there? Sexy Rexy. Jets head coach Rex Ryan was there. Andrew Marchand of ESPNNewYork.com. And who is also an Ithaca College graduate. He will be on our program in the upcoming weeks. He talked about the fact that he went up to Rex and he said, Hey, Rex, you know, what is your prediction for the Yankees this season? Rex kind of laughed and said, I don't think you want me to be the one making the predictions, but we all know what I think. Rex likes the Yankees to win the World Series. He won't say it. We all know why. Pretty funny moment between Rex Ryan today at Yankees camp and, you know, pretty much a jet reunion. You have Rex Ryan, the six-year head coach of the New York Jets. And, of course, the greatest quarterback in the franchise's history, Joe Namath, there in one day. I think we'll, Quite the day quite, in Yankee camp. Quite the day at Yankee camp. And I think one thing is great is is Joe, in case you don't know, you can follow Joe Namath. He's all over. You know, for a guy that— Real Joe Namath. For the real Joe Twitter. Namath, he's all over social media. Facebook, Twitter. Uh, you could, he has a YouTube page. If, in case you don't know, if you ever before every Jet game, the Saturday before, he will record a YouTube video— 
and it, it's called the huddle up. He'll have he'll 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 talk about the game, what the jet. He does it for the Crimson Tide too. He's also obviously played his football at the University of Alabama, but he he'll come up. He'll he'll talk about the game, what the Jets need to do to win, what the Jets need to do to win, what the Crimson Tide need to do to win. It's really great. He's such a social media guy, Joe. But he has expressed how much he likes Rex Ryan, and he feels he's the he's the head coach to lead this team. Absolutely. And we'll get into more of the Rex Ryan stuff later on as we head on to the NFL draft. We have the NFL offseason coming up. And uh, with us being big Jet fans, expect a lot of Jets talk on the show. The Jets will likely be cutting Mark Sanchez, Antonio Holmes. Any day, really, Restructuring Mark. Antonio Cromartie's contract to go along with the fact that they already have about $30 million in cap space. You restructure those deals, they increase the salary cap by $7 million for the 2014 season. And the Jets are looking at a scenario where they could have $50-plus million in cap space. They got to spend that money wisely, obviously. But we'll get to that later on in shows coming up. But another thing we got to touch on before we get into the NFL trying to ban the N-word and that whole debate with Richard Sherman, of course, of all people, Speaking out about that today is the fact that we had another celebrity appearance, sort of, today at Rangers camp. Russell Wilson, who was a fifth-round Rule 5 minor league draft selection by the Texas Rangers. He scheduled uh, an appearance to show up today. He worked out with the team. He spoke to the players yeah. on the Texas Rangers. Pretty cool to see Russell Wilson, the Super Bowl champion quarterback, fielding ground balls for the Texas Rangers at second base. Yeah, it was it was a lot of fun to see. A lot of people, well, a lot of people know, but some people don't know. He did, you know, he was drafted. As a second baseman out of the college. The coolest thing about that was the fact that if you looked at the final four quarterbacks remaining in the uh, the NFL this year, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Russell Wilson, and Colin Kaepernick, the only person that wasn't drafted by a Major League Baseball team was, in fact, Peyton Manning. Yep. Tom Brady, not many people know he was drafted by the Colorado Rockies. He out was. Of, uh, out of high school. But I uh, know. But honestly, like, if you look at it, how cool is it to have a guy that you draft, he can come, a guy wins the Super Bowl, what, two months ago? And he comes not a even, month ago, not, not even. even two, but not. Pardon me, two months ago, five weeks ago, and he comes four, four, four or five weeks ago comes in and he's fielding round balls for the Texas Rangers in uniform. That's cool. That's cool if you ask me. That's, a pretty, that's awesome. That's a pretty cool day to have the reigning Super Bowl champion quarterback playing second base for you, the Texas Rangers. You know, and he's such, training. He's such a pro's pro too. He gets he you know. Prior to the Super Bowl, the Russell Rule Five Wilson's draft. Just such a likable guy. Prior to the Super Bowl, get the Rule Five draft. He's drafted, and immediately he's like, "Yeah, I'll make an appearance." I, I you know, and I didn't realize he was going to work out with the team. I, I didn't. Re I thought he was just going to make an appearance and talk, and maybe be in uniform and talk to the media. I didn't realize that Russell was going to be taking ground balls, you know, in uniform, wearing the Texas Rangers warm up jersey, the hat, the uh, the uh, the sweatband. I didn't realize he was going to be in uniform. I thought that was awesome to watch, and it definitely brought a lot of people to Rangers camp today that wouldn't normally be there, a.k.a. Seahawks members of the media and all that, and, and NFL, uh, NFL members. It was all over NFL Network today in the afternoon, so I think that was so cool to watch, but to see him taking ground balls, I mean, you don't see that all the time. You don't, you haven't seen that really since since Bo Jackson, a guy that was a dominant NFL player, and then played baseball. You don't, you don't see that, and now all of a sudden you see Russell Wilson, even though he didn't play in a game for the Texas Rangers, you still saw him on the field, saw him taking a little BP, taking a little ground balls. I thought that was so cool to watch. And the real big story is going to be in a couple of years when Jameis Winston comes out and he tries to, he says he wants, he to, wants play. to go for both. He wants to try and be a major league baseball player. And of course, he's already won a Heisman and a national championship as a quarterback for the Florida State Seminoles. It's going to be interesting to see if he actually does follow through and tries to pursue both a baseball career and a football career. That's going to be the real question. Russell Wilson, you know, he's just doing, he's just showing up. He's going to speak to the team, more of a celebrity type of guest appearance. He's not actually going to have a baseball career. The real story is going to be in about a year from now when we start hearing about Jameis Winston and whether or not he's dead serious about trying to play both 
quarterback in the NFL and try and be a professional baseball player as well. Yeah, I mean, and Jameis obviously he's not the baseball player that he than he is. A, he's not the the ball player on the baseball field than he is a, a, a football. But I mean, he won the Heisman. He won the Heisman and won a national championship. But he's gonna go for it. He seems motivated. He seems like he wants to do this. Like he has his mindset. And honestly, he he should let him if he wants to play two sports. Listen, it's a risk. You might be risking a lot of money, an injury here or there for one sport. But if he wants to do it, yeah, he should be allowed to. I, I don't see a problem with it. I agree. Switching things once again back to the NFL and the discussion of, of the NFL and the competition committee trying to ban the N-word of all things. And a lot of question marks I have with it. The the idea there's I have no problem with the NFL trying to clean up their game if they don't want you know players or coaches or whoever it may be using racial slurs on the sideline or on the playing field. That's totally fine by me. But my question is I don't know if you could just institute a 15-yard penalty and try and say that this is going to fix the rule. I think there's a lot of gray area here. You're going to try and have the reps who already have a difficult job, already have a difficult, a difficult job trying to, trying to police this game, trying to you know be the referee game in and game out. You have so many controversial calls as it is in the NFL. You have a replay system that puts a lot of pressure, a lot of scrutiny on these reps to begin with. Now you want them to try and look after language. It's a lot of gray area, and I'm not sure this is the right way to go about it. I like what the NFL is doing as far as trying to clean up the game and trying to eliminate racial slurs, but at the same time, I have a, a major problem with how they they are going to try to police this issue. Yeah, it's a, it, there is a lot of gray area, Jake. You're right. I mean, if you really look at it, who is to determine what someone is saying under a helmet? You know what I'm saying? If it's not really distinct, it's very tough. My question is, what if the rep hears something and then the player denies it? How do you give the penalty? Well, Just because of the ref heard, he's going to have to go with it. Well, let's be honest. Well, if the ref, it's like saying a ref saw a hold and they saw it. And, you know, it's a, it's, it's a similar area. But, but there know, is more gray It's going to be a situation no, where there, someone gets that type of penalty after the game. They're going to be speaking with the media. And he's going to say, I didn't say that. We should have got that penalty. No, absolutely. You absolute. want an NFL game to be decided on, be decided on by a 15-yard penalty? Well, Late in the fourth quarter, let's say something well, good it'll happens. Go on, you know, it'll be a flag, unnecessary. You know, um, I don't even know whether they're going to say cursing, uh, foul language, un probably unsportsmanlike conduct is what they're going to say. So, you know, it's hard to distinguish. But then it's a they'll viewer. go unsportsmanlike conduct and then say what specifically they were doing. Well, I wonder. Yeah, they going to say well, using the, the N word? Is that what they're going to be? Racial uh, slurs. Yeah. I mean, already, you're right. Already, the NFL refs are the most scrutinized referees in all the sports. The fact that There's every, enough pressure the on fact them that everyone knows the head officials' game, uh, the head officials' name for every game played in the NFL, just shows you that they're the most. Gene Steratore. Gene Steratore. Ed Hockley. Ed, big Ed. You know, he works out in the gym. He's a big guy. But you know, the fact that you know these guys just shows you how scrutinized they are and how looked at they are for every call they make. And you're right. There's a lot of gray area here. I I, I think it, I don't know if you could penalize for someone for using a word. I think it's going to be very tough. I think, like, there's a lot of great. You're it, trying to change a culture that's been established in the NFL for years. I don't even and I'm think not it's saying, a culture. I'm not saying that's right for these players to use this word because it's not. It's wrong. If you have a context and a history, you understand why this word should never be used in the American language ever Absolutely. again. But at the same time, you have to realize that the fact that they are trying to police something that is so difficult you to police, exactly. on top of the fact that officiating an NFL game is difficult enough, you're going to add something else for the refs to try and keep I track of. I think it's very difficult, and I understand technology is improving where you could have mics on the field, but I don't know if you want to rely on that. You want to have a mic on the field to try and get you an opportunity so you can hear if someone used a curse word or not or used a racial slur. Look, it's, it's too it's, difficult it, no, to try No, but not only police. that, Jake, as a fan, as a fan, 
you don't know what they're saying. Like, it's not my and problem. It's really, not part of the game. As a fan, do you really care? I, you know what? I, it's a terrible word, but I don't. I don't. Because the bottom line is you're a fan. You care about if your team wins or if they but lose. Me, That's it's it. Not about, you're like everyone else. But you know what? That's how it is. Listen, if you push a guy after he's two feet out of bounds and you rough him, that's unnecessary roughness. I, in my opinion, unnecessary. Uh, not, I mean, uh, unsportsmanlike conduct, a push out of bounds, or you know, a, a punch, a punch. That's part of the aggressiveness of the game, and they could flag that. I understand, but to flag a guy for saying a word, a 15-yard penalty that could be the difference in a game, in, in an overtime period, in the fourth quarter with two minutes left. Too hard. It's too hard, and too you're hard putting too much. You're putting too much pressure on the referees. There's a lot of gray. This is not something that's black or white. Well, what's, did, oh, did somebody get their feet in bounds, or did they not? This is something that you're well, trying to have referees. Did he say that, or did he not? He's denying it. What did you hear? You, it's, no, just, it's too well, much well, for these refs. Is my question. Major League Baseball is doing a very similar thing, not in the cursing, but in the fact that they're making the umpires do a lot of things that where there's a lot of gray area involved, and a, a lot of these sports are doing it now, where they they're trying to nit, nitpick these little things. And I understand the N word is a horrible word, and it should not be used in the English language, like you mentioned. And anyone who knows what, everyone knows why it shouldn't be used. But again, it's very tough to determine under the helmets in the aggressiveness of the game. And the physical aspect that football is. If he said this, what he said, the penalty, the deny, it's just, it's too much for me. And I think it's going to be something that I don't know if it's going to work out for the NFL. I just think there's too much gray area. Like you said, there's too much skepticism. I don't think it's one of those calls. And I think if it's not a call that you could distinguishly understand if the guy said it or not, or if the guy held the guy or not, you can't distinguishly make the call. It shouldn't be. A penalty. I agree. And here's a comment from, of course, the great Richard Sherman, Mr. I talk a lot and give crazy post-game interviews. As you all know, Richard Sherman says, quote, it's an atrocious idea. It's almost racist to me. It's weird that they are targeting one specific word. Why wouldn't all curse words be banned? That's then? true. Listen, Richard Sherman, say what you will. He brings up an interesting point. Why is it that word? Why are you targeting a specific people? He's making a great point. He's making a great point. Well, I agree with him in a sense. I think it's an atrocious idea to a point. You can't say it's an atrocious idea to get ri get rid of racist slurs from the game. Then every but curse the word but should be taken I out. I agree, but the way you police that is just too difficult. It's too difficult. I think you're going to have to, you know, you got to pick and choose your battles if you're the NFL, if you're Roger Goodell. I don't think this is one that you could try and fight. If you're just doing it for a, uh, a PR stint, fine. But at the same time, you have a team in the NFL known as the Redskins, which is one of the most derogatory terms to Native Americans there is. And I don't want to get into the whole thing, should the Redskins change their name or not? But at the same time, you have to realize, if the NFL is trying to get rid of racial slurs, then you have a team name that is a racial slur as well, to make the counter-argument to this argument. Yeah, absolutely. You can make the argument of the Washington Redskins. This is something that's been going on for a while now with their name and, and if they're going to change their name or whatever the case may be. But I think Richard Sherman, the point he makes is right. Why not ban every curse word? You just can't because you can't. It's impossible to. It's impossible to. You have the only way you pick out one word, which is I think it's ridiculous. I don't like this. I think there's a lot of gray area, but I think if I agree with Richard Sherman, if you're gonna ban one word, why don't you ban them all? Ban I, don't, them all. I don't think this gets approved. I think when they review no, it, I, I think, don't think, I it think gets it's gonna come down to the I, fact that they I think just don't have the right technology at the moment, and they don't want to be. I don't. Th I think when the NFL sits down, they're gonna realize. They're putting well, a lot of pressure on that. the referees right I now to try and make a tough know. call on this, and they have enough to do already. I think the NFL the knows that. I think the NFL is doing this, like you mentioned before. I think this is a lot of PR. 
and acknowledging the fact that they have an issue and then they're going to try to resolve it. I don't think it's going to get approved. I just think, like you said, there's too much gray area and in a game of such physical aggressiveness like football. It's just it's too tough to 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 flag a guy 15 yards for saying a word. I just I don't and I understand it's a horrible word, but I think Richard Sherman brings up a great point. If you're going to flag him for saying one word, why won't you flag him for saying another word? Or who's to determine if he said this or that? Listen, it it, it it's under a helmet in in the physicalness of a game. You know, how can you determine what a guy said? It's very difficult. Unless there's microphones hooked up to every player going into the referee's ear, which is ridiculous in of itself, how are you to determine what a guy says? You can't. How are you? You can't. can't. If you're in the NFL, you can't. It could be the difference in a ball game. It could be the difference in a team season. The NFL is ultimately about winning and losing. That's what determines who gets fired, who has a job, who gets a big contract, how you help your team win, how you help your team lose. Now... Getting rid of racial slurs from the game would be great. I just don't know if you can enforce a 15-yard penalty and say, all is well, the refs are going to be able to handle this type of magnitude that this rule is going to cause in the NFL. It's going to it's going to be a problem. Uh, it's 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 going to be a big problem because then the referees look at are going to be looked at even worse than they already are, and you don't want to get the referees on the bad side of the players even worse. Uh, you don't want to get the referees on the bad side of the players even more than they are. And I, you know, obviously the players understand that the referees just enforce the rules; they don't make them. But I even think if this if this gets approved, I just think it's gonna open up a whole can of worms that the NFL at the end of the day is not gonna want to open up because who's to determine who says what? It's gonna it, it can end a team season at the end of the day, and I just don't think it's a good idea. I understand. I think what you mentioned before, I think it's a big PR move for the NFL. They want to they want to acknowledge the fact they have an issue. They do have an issue. They want to acknowledge the fact and try to try to resolve it. But I think in their heart of hearts and deep down, they know that. They don't have the technology right now or the capability to to master this and hit the hammer and hit the nail right on the head with the hammer. They don't have that right now. Absolutely. So that's going to conclude our discussion on that issue. But we want to switch things up now. We want to dive into a little bit of the baseball season, as sure. we talked about. Spring training is going on. So besides the fact that Joe you wouldn't Namath, think so here in New York, yeah, of course not. You wouldn't think so because the weather is atrocious. atrocious. Not even here, oh but Ithaca, where we're from, both from Long Island. They're getting a lot of snow, snow there, too. The East Coast Snow days galore. Yeah, I mean, it's cold. Really, really oh, yeah. rough winter for the I w- East Coast. I wish I, was in, I wish I was in South Florida for some spring training. Yeah, actually. I wish I was down in Tampa, Florida, watching yep. some Yankees spring training. But a couple Yankees news to touch on, then we'll get to the Mets for a little bit. The Yankees, Tanaka, he made his debut over the weekend. He looked pretty good. He threw two scoreless innings. Let's not freak out over a couple spring training innings. You want to see the guy pitch well. Got off to a nice start. You're happy about that if you're a Yankee fan. Yeah, you got to be happy about it. I mean, it's let's be honest here. You don't look too much in it, but if he gave up two runs in an inning or got smacked hard, it would have been, be, been a big story and on the front pages of the New York Times and the Daily News. That I mean, that's the bottom line. It would have been on the back pages. So I just think he, he pitched well. Was his location there 100%? No, but it shouldn't be at this point. He's developing. He's getting you. He, listen, there's a lot for uh, Tanaka to get used to. He's, he's got to get used to pitching in it with a different ball, with it, you know, going every fifth day instead of every seven day. It's a huge adjustment for him. But I think so far, he's like I mentioned before, his control wasn't a hundred percent there. But he got he got the job done. And he's and he, getting and he's going to get better. You want to see him just stay healthy, get his innings up, get his work in, build that, his arm strength up, and be ready. The for The key is to day. stay healthy because the idea that Tanaka was brought in here to be a third uh, number three starter, as Brian Cashman said. It's a joke. Trying well, to take some pressure exactly. off him, obviously. But at the same time, we all know what Tanaka is capable of. If you see him pitch in Japan, you talk to the scouts, you listen to what's being wrote, uh, written about him. The guy came here to be a number one pitcher for this Yankee squad, a team that desperately needs him to pitch well for them to have an opportunity to contend for championship number 28. He got off to a good start. You want to see what he continues to have throughout spring training. And, of course, he's brought in here to help this Yankees team win ball games, be the ace of this team. 
We'll see if he's able to do that going forward. But the biggest key for the Yankees, as far as the pitching staff goes, in my opinion, is CC Sabathia. He lost velocity last year. He lost a lot of wins last year. He finished, I don't think, only 14 and 13 yep. for the season. He had an ERA in the fours. Very un CC Sabathia like. He lost a lot of velocity on his fastball. Even in spring training, he's only throwing about 88 miles per hour. It's still early, still though. Still very early. He can still build it up. Not to say CC can't be effective, say he's throwing 90-91. Andy Pettit made a career off that. But, you know, if you're the Yankees, CeCe Sabathia has got to be your most important piece. If he's healthy and he's able to pitch well and, you know, give you quality innings as he did, you know, since he was brought in before the 2009 season, you know, the Yankees will have a rotation of Sabathia, Kuroda, who's been solid the past couple seasons, Tanaka, you expect to be very good. Um, even a guy like Michael Pineda is a guy who could maybe be, you know, the solid fit starter this team's yeah. looking. And, of course, Ivan Nova is another guy that had yeah. a very good year last year. He's another big piece for this Yankee squad. Yeah, I think you got to be concerned if you're the Yankees coming off last season to CC Sabathia. And listen, I'm not concerned that in his first start he was only throwing 88, 89 miles an hour. I think his velocity is going to get up a little bit. I think he's going to hit 90, maybe 91 if we're lucky. I think the days of him throwing 92, 93 miles an hour are over. I think CeCe's just well, not that okay, guy anymore. That's okay, because you could still no, exactly. win with that. CeCe's a but, smart guy. But he had a huge he issue last last season with control. He was not a, the control pitcher he needs to be throwing 88 miles an hour. And he lost a lot of weight in the offseason. Hopefully you it hope helps, that helps him. him. Yeah. You know, CeCe's a big key to the Yankees. Still too early to judge anything. Just a couple notes to touch on with the Yankees. But yeah. once again, another guy, as you just mentioned before, a guy that a lot of people aren't talking about is Ivan Nova. He had a stellar 2013 season. If he continues to pitch well, you're looking at a, a really good pitching staff as long as CeCe Sabathia could turn things around. I don't expect him to be you know, a 20-game winner, but I do expect him to be a, you know, a solid pitcher that could still give you 200 innings and you know, have more quality starts than not. I mean, he still sees Sabathia, still a guy that's been you know, pitching at a high level since he came into the league years ago. Yeah, I mean, I think if you get quality starts out of him, and that's the key, you get, if you get six, seven innings, a couple of runs, you know, six hits, and he strikes out his seven, I think the Yankees will take that. I don't think we're looking. We're not. We're, this isn't the CC Sabathia that was pitching in his first year with the Yankees. This isn't the CC Sabathia that was going every every day for the Milwaukee Brewers in 2008 when they traded for yeah. him. He's not that pitcher anymore, and that's okay. He can still get people out. The only concern I have is his control. He did not have control last year, and he was not able to locate pitches. And you know, when you throw 93, 94 miles an hour, you get away with not locating all the time. When you're throwing 88, 89, 90, you need to locate a little more. So I think that's one thing. I think he's going to improve on. I think he's going to be fine. He's a pro's pro. And I think he'll be fine. He's just got to locate his pitches. Absolutely. And another thing with CeCe Sabathia is as long as he can keep the Yankees in the game with the way the Yankees improve their offense, bringing in a guy like Brian McCann, Carlos Beltran, Jacoby Ellsbury, you know, having Teixeira back, having Derek Jeter back, you would expect the Yankees to be able to score a lot more runs than well, they did last year. They won 85 games, but really they got outscored. You know, they, they got outscored overall for last season. They were Brian Cashman said that they penciled in the Yankees only to be a 79-win team when they were playing in the offseason. So they went off a 79-win team, not an 85-win team. I think the Yankees, as we talked about in the past, really overachieved last year. They got a lot of contributions from guys you didn't think were really going to be able to have enough in them. They had stellar seasons from Ivan Nova last year, Hiroki Kuroda, guys that you really weren't counting on to give you all that much. And they were able to get over the fact that they had so many injuries to win 85 games. But the way the Yankees improved their offense in this past offseason, you would expect them to be able to score a lot more runs. So the pitching staff just has to do a good enough job of keeping the Yankees in the game. And, of course, another huge question when you talk about the New York Yankees is David Robertson, and is he ready to be the closer for the team, taking over for the legend Mariano Rivera? Is he ready? I think he is, and I'll tell you why. I think he's worked in that eighth inning. He's gotten a chance to work behind he's been the Mariano. the best eighth inning pitcher in exactly. baseball the past and, three and years. And don't get me wrong. We've seen this happen in the last five years 
100 times where you have a, a guy who was able to pitch in the eighth inning, move him to the ninth inning, he can't get anyone up, and vice versa. It's just a different mindset. I think Robertson's going to be able to do it. I think he's worked behind Mariano. He deserves to get the opportunity, and he will. But Robertson I think, is such a dominant I think a huge pitcher. X factor to this Yankee bullpen and the Yankees starting, and including CeCe, is Brian McCann. I think the a big reason why CeCe, maybe not not because he didn't pitch well last year, but because he didn't, maybe maybe because he wasn't, maybe there were certain pitches that he felt were supposed to get called that didn't, and he made a mistake pitch because it was a bad location called by the catcher. When you have a catch, a stable catcher that's as, as respected and and offensively, you know, that's going to help you out offensively, all-around catcher like Brian McCann, it makes the pitching staff better by default. I think that's going to help CeCe in this pitching staff just, just because he's in the, a presence in the locker room. Well, you mentioned Brian McCann. McCann's a seven-time All-Star, and he's a guy that this Yankees team is going to have to count on this year to hit, you know, 25, 30 home runs Absolutely. using that right field at Yankee Stadium to his advantage. McCann is a guy that I loved the signing when they brought him in. I think he was necessary. The fact that the Yankees had no production last year. I think it was their best signing of the offseason. From the catching position was a joke. Francisco Savelli was terrible. Austin Romine's a solid player, but he's a backup at best. That's the thing. The Yankees had nothing offensively from the catching position. A year after they let Russell Martin walk and go to the Pittsburgh Pirates and have a stellar 2013 season. So the idea of bringing in Brian McCann by, by the Yankees and by general manager Brian Cashman was a very smart move. A move the Yankees had to make. Absolutely. Another signing I really like is the signing of Carlos Beltran. You know, health is always a big question with Carlos, but if he's able to stay healthy, you know he could play in New York. He's done it with the Mets in previous seasons, back when he was with the great New York Mets franchise that Dan, I know you root for, of, of course. course. Beltran's a guy that will also be able to help them if they get to the playoffs. He's arguably the greatest playoff hitter since Babe Ruth. Yeah, he, you really look at tremendous it. Tremendous He's had so many Carlos. big hits. Even this past season with the Cardinals, played great in the playoffs, helping them get to the World Series. Beltran's a great signing, as long as he stays healthy. And that's kind of the theme for this Yankees team, staying healthy. Mark Teixeira is coming back from wrist surgery. Derek Jeter only played in 17 games last year. Jacoby Ellsbury is always an injury risk. You know, some fluke injuries, say whatever you want. You want him to stay healthy. The key for the Yankees is to stay healthy, and you would expect them to have a much better 2014 season, a season that they should end at least in the playoffs, and who knows how far they could really go. I mean, it would be disappointing if they didn't make the this playoffs. This is a playoff robust team. It, well, it has to be. Well, I mean, no, 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 no. This is a team they've, they've invested. You know, they've invested so much money in this team. They're, they're. What were they picked? 83, 85 The wins? goal when you're the Yankees is to always win the World but Series. But what were they picked? This to team fit? at the minimum has to win. Get, has to get into the playoffs. They. I, yeah, absolutely. But what were they picked to? What was the number that was put on them a couple weeks ago to win? 85, 83? What was that number that was put on them? I think it was only in the mid 80s, which think, I think is very low ballish. Of, I, but but of I Vegas think, to try but when you look, that low. I think it's ridiculous. I think if you look at the move, if you because this is all you can base it on right now. If you base it on the moves the Yankees made, and you look at the Yankees on paper, they are a dominant force in the American League. They just are. They've made a, a so many moves to get better. We mentioned Brian McCann. Not only is McCann going to help the uh, the offense and that porch in right field, he's going to make the pitching staff better. He's a respected which catcher. was already a strength last year. Absolutely, it it was, but he's gonna make that. He's gonna make a guy like he might make a guy like CC. And better. if a guy like CC Sabathia has a bounce back year, which you would expect, if a guy like Ivan Nova continues to develop and continues to have another stellar season as he did a year ago, and a guy I really like is Michael Pineda. He's gonna be in his third season with the Yankees. Hasn't thrown a pitch oh, for the Yankees yet. Nope. He's a guy that has major league number one caliber stuff when they traded for him. You know what the bottom line is with this Yankees team is if Pineda could stay healthy, he could be a solid number five starter. You know, the key is to obviously to stay healthy. But if he can give you 20, 24, 25 starts and be productive, throw you a couple quality starts out of them, Pena could be a solid player coming out of the number five spot. And if not him, 
you know, David Phelps has shown you in the past that he could be a very solid number five starter, or you could even put him in the bullpen where he's had a lot of success there as well. The Yankees are very deep. A lot of it is, of course, contingent on them staying healthy, but that's with every team. Every team needs to stay healthy, have a chance. The Yankees didn't last year, and they still found a way to win 85 games. You talked about the improvements they made in the offseason. On paper, the Yankees look like a team that should win 90 to 94 games and be, you know, be at least a, a division contender and definitely have an opportunity to win one of the two wild card spots. Yeah, because they're not only are they adding guys that they that they, that they added for your free agency, but you're getting Derek Jeter back. You're getting even though it's his last year, you're getting Mark Teixeira back. You know, those are two cogs in this lineup that you didn't have last year and were a big reason why the Yankees weren't when successful. When you don't have Mark Teixeira, you're losing 30 and 100 every single year he's been with the Yankees outside of one. And you're losing the best defensive first baseman in baseball. Of course. And with Derek Jeter, you're losing your captain. You're losing, you're, uh, losing Which is your huge. leader. I don't care. And people don't realize, Derek Jeter, when he was healthy in 2012, he led the American League in hits. He had 212 hits and he hit, three, and he hit 310. He had a fantastic season. I know Derek Jeter, you know, is going to be his last year. He only played in 17 games last year. But I still think Derek Jeter going to 290 be a very productive hitter for this Yankees team. Derek's going out on top, not because he can't play anymore, because he knows that this is the right time to go out before they're forcing him out. And he has the opportunity to do so this year for the Yankees. Well, and going out before he is forced to play another position. He wants to go out as shortstop of the New York Yankees in, 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 where he could still play it and still hit it and still make all the plays. And Well, not all, but still make the plays. And I think that's what he's going to do. But as far as the Yankees are concerned, I think Mark Teixeira, you add him back at a, a, a gold glove first baseman. Biggest and, key for the Yankees in the pitching staff is Sabathia. Biggest key offensively is getting Mark Teixeira back yeah, and getting, back to, to get getting him back Teixeira to what back. he was when he was a 30 and 100 type of player every single year yeah i mean mark Teixeira. that when they signed him he was the best first baseman in baseball he suffered a few injuries and he gets off to slow start so if at the beginning of april he's hitting 120 midway through april you know don't panic he, he's not he gets off to slow starts i think when it comes in if he's healthy you're right. He is the offensive X factor for the New York Yankees because you know what you're adding in. It's a matter of what you get out of Mark Teixeira. You could get a, the best switch hitter in base, one of the best, better switch hitters in baseball, and and I, it's not even a question. He's the best defensive first baseman in baseball when he's healthy and out there. It's not even a question. I think he makes the defense just that much better, and that's a, that's like Brian McCann. I, not only does he make, not only does he make your pitching staff better, but he brings offense. Not only does does. Mark Teixeira make your infield defense better, but he's going to hit 30. When he's healthy, he can hit 25 to 30 home runs and drive in 100 to 125 RBIs. He's that type of player. There's no doubt about that. So right now, what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to get into the Oscars, get into a little bit of discussion on the awards giving out at the 86th Animal Academy Awards, which went on Great night. a couple nights ago. Yeah, it was a fantastic night. Welcome back to the Asman and Budic Podcast. Once again, I'm Jake Asman, joined alongside Dan Budic. When we last left off, just before we said we were going to get into the Oscar discussion, obviously, pretty exciting Oscars for the most part. Not that many surprises. I know last week we had on Media Guru Jack Powers come into the studio and break it down with us. Jack's a guy that knows a lot about the entertainment field. He pretty much nailed every single prediction. He got yeah. the best picture right. He got the best director right. He nailed it all. He got the best actor with Matthew McConaughey winning for Dallas Buyers Club. Yeah, pretty much everything according to plan for the most part. A lot of people were able to nail their predictions, including Indians relief pitcher John Axford, who went 18 for 18 on his Oscar ballot, worth pointing out. Yeah, and that was a lot better than his uh, blown save to save ratio in 2013. Of course so, it was. Yeah, he was awful last year. <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, 18 of 18. I mean, that's unbelievable. I mean, uh, uh, you know, obviously we did it with the class, with Powers class. He submitted the. 
thing online. We were able to fill it out. I mean, I got like three or four wrong. You know, we, anytime you get to you get to the the foreign films, it's tough. The short films the that short no one sees. Films seen. that no one sees, or that we don't see. I no one, not, not people see them, but we don't see them. We're not worthy. We're not. Well, you know, we're, we're not short enough. I guess I don't. I don't. I don't know what the case may be, but we don't see them. <laughs> Whatever it is, we don't see them. And obviously, uh, last night at the Oscars. Gravity won the most Oscars with a total of seven. Gravity just really dominated. I I, I I mean, I haven't seen the film. I mean, a lot Everyone, of I mean, you haven't a lot heard of, a bad thing a, about lot of it. a lot of fans though say it's a very good movie. Kind of surprised at the amount of awards it did win. But I mean, you look at the fact that this movie is 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 so crazy with its special effects and so so uh, revolutionary with its sound and everything that goes into making that type of movie. I mean, they've been working on this movie, I believe, now for three years to just to get it, it must finalized. Take a while, yeah. Uh, crazy the amount of work that goes into it, you know. Last night, pretty cool moment for Jared Leto. Uh, you know, his speech was very inspirational, talking about AIDS and all the people affected by the deadly disease. Of course, he had a huge role in the movie Dallas Buyers Club. Pretty supporting cool. Actor. Matthew McConaughey wins Best Actor, and his supporting actor is Jared Leto, both from the same movie. Not often that happens. Yeah, and it was interesting that happened, but obviously they didn't win Best Picture. Best Picture went to Twelve Years a Slave. But you know, I thought the, you know they just. McCon- McConaughey and when we had powers, he he talked about Matthew McConaughey and talked about his uh, how he's evolved as an actor over the last ten to fifteen years and and really over the last three or four years specifically in the different types of movies he's tremendous done. Tremendous actor. Yeah, I mean he's a tremendous actor, but he is you know he went from those you know those kooky romance movies that he did uh, you know uh, Ghost of Girlfriend's, Girlfriend's Past, Past uh, Fool's Gold with Kate Hudson back in two thousand six. Those kind of you know what what what's the other movie he did with uh, what's that a movie he did in two thousand seven. I can't remember. Where's what? What's that movie he did in two thousand seven with uh, Sarah Jessica Parker? I know what you're talking about. But I, can't I can't remember can't the name. Ugh, I can't remember the name. Uh, we'll try to figure it out in the next couple of minutes. I just, I just forgot it. Uh, Terry Bradshaw's in the movie. Plays his dad. Yes, I forgot. I, 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 I know what you're talking but he about. Play, but okay, yeah. but whatever the case may be, he plays those kind of funny, kooky love roles he's been in. But then you see him in a role like Dallas Buyers Club. And, and and he really was breathtaking in it, and it was a totally new experience for him, and he took home Best Actor. And, you know, they really, they, they talked about him on Fox yesterday. Failure to Launch. Failure to Launch. There That's is. the movie. Failure to Launch. Uh, you know, those th- those were the type of movies he was doing. And then you see him, like I said before, in Dallas Buyers Club. Just a, t- and a, what about a 360 swing. And True Detective? Yeah, well, he's, he's been taking, you know, Powers talked about, Jack Powers talked about it last week, and it, it's noticeable. He has been taking those type of risky roles, even, you know, in a... In a in a uh, interview he that aired last night after the Oscars, he said, "You know, these roles kind of scare me. You know, they're not they're not, they're out of my comfort zone, but that's a good thing." And I think for him, obviously taking home the be- best actor last night for uh, Dallas Buyers Club, it is a good thing. So uh, obviously, uh, it's great to see him changing as an actor and really evolving in the type of movies he's doing. Yeah, it was interesting. Also, one of the movies that we were really pulling for because of how much we are associated with it, the fact that we grew up where the movie took place on Long Island is The Wolf of Wall Street. Shut out, didn't win a single award in all five categories. Yeah. Really unfortunate. Great movie. Martin Scorsese is obviously a tremendous director. He's directed so many great films. And of course, Jonah Hill didn't get his award for supporting actor. And once again, I would have thought it would win one. I Leonardo it... DiCaprio couldn't get his Oscar. He's now 0 for 5 in Academy Award nominations. And you feel for the guy because he's such a good actor, such a likable guy. When will Leo get his Oscar, Dan? He'll get it. I mean, he'll get he's it. He's still but... young. He'll get it. I mean, I think he... It's w- tough. I mean, every time he yeah. puts out a great movie, he's just somebody else that just yep. puts out something really, really good that just ups him just a little bit in the and eyes d- of the Academy. And don't get me wrong, The Wolf of Wall Street was an, a fantastic movie. I mean, it, it was an absolutely fantastic movie, directed fantastically. It was just... It, everything about it was, was done tremendous. I think Jonah Hill... 
I would have liked to see him win support. I would have liked to see the movie take home one Oscar. Unfortunately, it didn't. It just so, that's the way it goes. I mean, a lot of times what the fans want, I think it was up to the fans, American Hustle and, and um, The Wolf of Wall Street would be the movies that a lot of people yeah, would put American Hustle at the top. Awesome. But, you know, the thing is, the Academy votes on it. It's not the normal, everyday movie moviegoer that is having the opportunity to vote for these awards. So well, it, that's why. No, that's, it's tough. Yeah. It's tough. What the fans want and what the Academy wants are two totally different things in a lot of cases. Yeah, absolutely. And I think American Hustle, uh, Bradley Cooper to win supporting actor, that would have been awesome. I to see him win supporting actor. Unfortunately, it didn't. I saw American Hustle. Russell and Wolf of Wall, they were both fantastic movies. I really would, you know, I didn't get to see uh, a few of the other movies, but I got to see American Hustle and uh, Wolf of Wall Street, and both Jonah Hill and Bradley Cooper were tremendous, along with Leo DiCaprio, but I'm talking about supporting actor, actor in a supporting role. They were both tremendous. I thought they could have both taken home the Oscar. Unfortunately, it just didn't didn't, didn't work out like that. But, uh, you know, for Leo, for Lenny DiCaprio, hopefully uh, he'll get an opportunity. I think he will get an opportunity another time. Of course, he's going to continue to be an outstanding movie. He'll get one still young. These things take time. Another Scorsese. Of course, you know, Scorsese and him, they always seem to work together. If it was up to me to take a guess, I'd say that Scorsese would be the director when it's all said and done when Leo finally gets his Oscar, if he ever gets one, which I think he will. He w- I think he will. I think well, he's one. such a great actor. But, you know, another thing to point out, to touch on is Ellen DeGeneres. What were your thoughts on the way she hosted the event? You know, I, I honestly, and I told you before the show, I'm not a huge Ellen DeGeneres fan. I, I'm not a huge fan. I thought she did a great job. I really did. I can't knock her. I think she brought a nice fun to it. I, I really thought it was good. You know, a lot of people didn't like Seth MacFarlane last year, thought he was really edgy, didn't didn't enjoy his jokes. Well, some people like edgy, and the Oscars don't. They yeah, stay away and from I that. Felt, That's why I thought, they hated MacFarlane last oh, year got, when he, he did got it. bashed. Yep. He got bashed. I thought... Ellen did a good job. I really did. She was getting handled, you know, Howard Stern well, and this and that. You know, I thought he did a good. She you know, did a good job. You know what you're gonna get from Ellen? She's someone that's gonna be funny. She's she gonna was be funny. witty. Few. She made a lot of funny jokes. Yeah, I mean, I thought the whole thing with the selfie was pretty funny. I mean, she set the record for most uh, for a picture retweeted the most amount of times last night with that with that uh, selfie with it all was the stars. Great. It's th- almost any, three million retweets. By the way, you get the fans involved like that. I think the Academy loves that. The the um, ABC loves that. That's why they pick. They know she's so. You know, she's big into social media. She's able, like you said, set the record for most amount of retweets on a photo. I, uh, it's unbelievable. It was unbelievable. But, I mean, you almost expected it. If you put that one of those out and you're hosting the Academy Awards, I thought she did a good job. I, I You know, I, I like I said, I'm not a huge fan. I thought, you know, a lot of people didn't like the pizza bit with the pizza. I thought that was funny. I thought it was funny. Yeah, it was, it was I, thought it, I enjoyed it. It, it was, was enjoyed. You know, for... A lot of people think the Academy Awards watching it's boring. I thought it brought a little. Well, light you know to what it. makes the Academy Awards boring when you have best costume design and but those short are awards film. they give That's out. That's fine, but I mean these people they come up and they speak and it's just boring. It's dragged out. Guys like Jared Leto with his speech, let him go all night. Let Matthew McConaughey speak all night. Well, they let him go for a while, McConaughey. Well, that's what happens award. when you win Best Actor. Well, yeah, but I thought he. But gave my a point great is, speech. if you want to keep it more fun and more interesting, fine. But you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you know, include the other stuff. I get that. You gotta have the other categories, of course. Fine. Let the main categories really kind of take over the Oscars. That's what it's all about. And another thing is this idea that you could have nine movies nominated for Best Picture. I think that's ridiculous. I think it's it's, it's, it's I cheapening the the importance of being nominated for an Oscar for for an Academy Award caliber movie. You know, nine movies this year are Best Picture caliber. I mean, it's not to say that they're not good movies. But I think there should only be about four or five, five maximum five, yep. 
I agree. Best movies, you know, nominated for the Oscars. I think nine is way too much. I think it's ridiculous. Well, they wanted to catch the appeal of more people. That's it's enough, why, though. It's it. too much. No, I agree. I think five is enough for what they had. I think they extended it to nine because they wanted to catch the appeal American of American Hustle, Captain Phillips, Dallas Buyers Club, Gravity, Her, Nebraska, The Wolf of Wall Street. You don't need that many. You need about three or four, maybe five maximum, and that's it. That's all you really need. Yeah, I think the five they at the five they extended it obviously to, to nine. I, I agree. I think five is enough. Uh, but you know, just but but they do this because they want to get more people into it. And they want more more debate. And they, that's what they want. And you know what? They they get that. So I mean, the, the mission accomplished. But I agree. I think f- five to really make it like it's the be- you know out of nine. W- w- I'd rather be the best of five than the best of nine. It's just it, that's the type of that's that's what it is. You know that that's obviously what it was for years, and they until they changed it to nine. I, I I don't love it, but what are you gonna do? That's that's what they want. That's what they want to go with. Exactly. Well, what? great movie. I mean, not not taking anything away to any movies. It's not taking any away. But if you're gonna win Best Picture, I think five movies up for it. I think that's more than enough. Well, I mean, if you're one of the nine movies, oh, we got nominated, great. But I mean, in reality, you're one of nine. It's a lot different than being one of three, one of four. It's it's just a different field. It just it has a different meaning to be you know one of the three or four best pictures nominated for that year. I don't know. I know obviously there's a lot of other reasons why you have that many films. It produces more money for the studios, of course. And the Oscars wants wants to try and attract a younger you audience by and, nominating and, and more Pal- films. And but Powell's still, made a great point. Are you gonna see a movie in rerun that's shown that was Emmy that was a, a, a Oscar nominated, Academy Award nominated? If it would you more likely see it if it had that title to it or if it didn't? You would if it did. That's just the oh, general. Oh, got public. nominated for an Oscar. Of course, of course. That's just the general public. That's the general public. So that's why it, it's all about money. What it's all about it always comes down to money, but our podcast, Dan, it is free. You can go to iTunes, absolutely search the Aswin Abutic Show right now, and you will be able to subscribe to our channel and download. One of our first three shows. This is the third edition. Put all three of them. Why not put them all three Subscribe, and like we mentioned at the beginning of the show, if you do subscribe, you get the podcast app. Every time we upload a a show, maybe a short, if we have an interview, it will automatically be uploaded to your iTunes, to your device, whatever you're on. It will automatically be uploaded once you open the app. It's great. It's an awesome platform, and we're excited that we have the opportunity to use it because of ICTV. And if you are living under a cave and do not have iTunes, you can go to ICTV. I, excuse me, ictv.org slash Asrin and Budic, or just go under shows and search podcasts and look for our name, and you can listen to our podcast on there as well. Dan, before we go, I gotta ask you, how's everything going with you so far? You enjoying this podcast? You enjoying the ride? It's been fun. You know, obviously we come in here, to, we record it, and, and we're, we go through the editing process. It's a lot of fun. I'm enjoying it so far. It's a new experience. You know, we're used to a little more television. We do spreecasts like we mentioned at the first show. It's all live. It's it's totally different. This is a new experience. This isn't like radio. It's totally different. We're able to manipulate things a little more, which honestly I like. I like what we're able to do on the podcast, uh, in the production room here, and I'm really enjoying it. The fact that we can manipulate things a little more and and we're – we have a little more freedom going about what we're putting, when we're putting it here, when we're putting it there. If we feel like we want to move something, it's the, uh, the 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 clips, whatever the case may be. It's been a lot of fun. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Once again, find us on iTunes. Find us on ICTV.org. And, of course, you can follow the show, The Asmund and Budic Show, at Asmund Budic Show on Twitter. Follow us at Jake Asmund, at Dan Budic. It's been a lot of fun, and we will see you, as always. Well, actually, no, we won't. We are on break here at Ithaca College. Break. But in two weeks, we'll be back doing this show. We're looking forward to it. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in, and we can't wait to be back with you all in two weeks. Thanks again, everyone.
Horseman and Butte podcast. Make sure you go on to iTunes and subscribe to the show.